Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. Today's podcast is a very different one. We are here to talk about the Falcons finally making the move that fans have been clamoring for nearly all season, and for many of those fans, really since last season. Yes, Arthur Blank has finally fired head coach Dan Quinn and general manager Thomas Dimitrov. This happened immediately after the game on Sunday against the Panthers when the Falcons fell to 0-5. To dive deep into these moves, I've got Dave Choate, senior editor of Falcoholic, and my normal co-host, Gina Kelly, site editor and associate director of NFL Team Brands at SB Nation, to talk about these moves. Hi, Dave. Hi, Gina. Are you implying I'm not normal? (laughs) (laughs) And and I am. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, it's it's this is part of our brand. Anyhow, let's let's dive right in. I want to jump straight into this because this is obviously, I would argue the biggest news the Falcons have released on us since maybe the Dan Quinn hiring and the Mike Smith firing, which happened back in uh, you know tail end of 2014 going into 2015. Um, Dave, I want to start with you. Let's start this podcast talking about head coach Dan Quinn. We can double back on the general manager later. Um, first question, uh, and a two-parter for you. Number one, are you surprised and are you surprised at the timing of the firing? Um, for Dan Quinn, I am not surprised at all by the firing. Um, and I, I think the timing isn't that surprising either. I think when it comes down to it, you know, we had heard reports, um, from reporters who are around the team quite often, and presumably have connections in high places that, you know, the two games week four and week five were going to be crucial for Dan Quinn. And, you know, I, I think our fear collectively as a fan base all along was that, you know, he had to win one of those games, maybe two, and he was going to get thrown the life uh, preserver again to keep going. And, you know, when that not only didn't happen, but this is maybe like the worst start to finish that I've seen this team look through two games in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the writing was on the wall. You know, it's, I said it, I think last night in an article that I wrote, but you know, at some point you can say we're going to take it one game at a time and we're playing, you know, for our jobs, we're playing for our coach, a guy we love. And like all of that rhetoric is, you know, within the locker room, perfectly logical, but it has to be taken out of your hands at some point because when none of that is working and it's, it's just clear that it's not going to get any better. Um, you know, I think Dan Quinn said himself, you know, yesterday and he had to know probably what was coming, but you know, no changes to the coaching staff. We're all in this together. It's a nice sentiment. And I, I think that Quinn throughout this, you'll never hear anybody say that Dan Quinn, the person was anything less than you know, a tremendous guy and that all the things that were said about him and that he said about his players and his coaches, he meant, but it was time because he was never going to 
be able to get out of this himself. Um, it just, mm -hmm. it wasn't going to happen. Yep. Gina, are you surprised or surprised at the timing? I know you and I had held the opinion for a while that we didn't think anything would happen until the, the bye week. So does this sort of sudden right after the game firing catch you off guard? You know, uh, if, if the season had gone any differently to this point, I might have been surprised. I think that when, you know, you're not only sitting at zero and five, but also the team has definitely not shown any signs of improvement over the first five weeks of the season. It's clear at that point that the coaching staff has lost the team, that they're not able to get through to this team in any kind of meaningful way. And several years ago, I talked to um, a former offensive line coach. He had coached with the Eagles, with the Falcons, and it was a year when the, the Falcons offensive line was particularly bad. And um, he was saying that he thought that they needed, you know, they've been hearing the same coaching on fundamentals, et cetera, since they were children. And sometimes they just need to hear it from a different voice. And I think that we can um, be pretty certain and confident in the fact that the Falcons need to hear whatever they're hearing from coaches from a different voice at this point, because there's just been no improvement. The team looks lost. The team looks like they have no direction. And they're, they've really given no indication that this is something that the current coaching staff and, and specifically Dan Quinn could elevate them out of. Yeah, it, it sounds like you both agree. And I would add on to this, that we all think this was the right move, uh, especially with what you just know, the Gina, the fact that it really did seem like the team wasn't getting better. They were, they were going the wrong direction. You know, the past several games, they have looked as bad as we've ever seen them look arguably in the Matt, Matt Ryan era, you know, back going all the way back to 2008. And that to me includes the, the horrible 2013 season uh, where the Falcons only won four games, uh, which, that, that's saying a lot <laughs> when you can rival that bad of a season uh, as a head coach. So, uh, Gina, let me ask you this. Obviously, Quinn has been here for you know quite a few years. Uh, he did take this team to the playoffs. He, he took them to the Super Bowl, had some incredible playoff success. Honestly, I think people also forget you know 2017 playoffs. They did beat the Rams on the road. You know, Dan Quinn arguably has had the most playoff success of any Falcons head coach in his history. What will his legacy be with the Falcons? I know, you know, it's hard to think of that from a fired head coach, but it feels like he did accomplish some things, even if he didn't get the big job done. Mm -hmm. um, he did. And I mean, I think that there will probably come a time when fans will think fondly upon the the success that the team had of getting the team to a Super Bowl. That was huge. Obviously, um, you know, actually having consistent playoff success in those early years when it was so evasive during the Mike Smith era. Um, I think that those are things that fans will remember fondly. Um, I think that right now we're just too close to three really, you know, well, two, two seasons and then, you know, five games of this season that have been, you know, generally miserable. And um, we're also still fielding, you know, 28 to three jokes every day. And so I think that right. Ken is going to have a little bit of a complicated legacy because yes, he took the team to a Super Bowl, and boy, was that a fun season. And I mean, just thinking about the way that they ran through the Seahawks and uh, the Packers uh, that postseason on route to the Super Bowl, you know, that final game in the 
in the Georgia Dome against Green Bay was really, I think, sort of the pinnacle of what we had hoped for from Dan Quinn. But then when he followed that up with, you know, the the worst loss in Super Bowl history, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst blown lead in the history of that championship game, you know, I think that his legacy is going to be a little bit complicated. Yeah. Dave, what's your take on that? Similar. Um, you know, I think I said it last night too. You know, I think people will look back on, and I know we're not talking about him quite yet, but people will look back on Thomas Dimitrov pretty fondly, I think, overall for the the moves that he's made, the the success that he set this franchise up for. And they look uh, they already do, I think, look back on Mike Smith pretty fondly. I think it will be harder at least in the short term, for anybody to look back on this era of Falcons football as fondly. And I, I don't blame Quinn 100% for that. I think that's partly on you know the team brass for not making the move at the end of last year when it really needed to be made because these last five games, you know, on top of everything else that happened, really cemented, I think, the reputation for Quinn um, with this fan base of being a guy who couldn't be trusted with the lead and didn't have a plan. Like there's just no other way to look at that 0 and 5 start um, aside from, you know, either this team is incredibly untalented and we just haven't realized it or, you know, Quinn and coaching staff really just could not get, you know, anything out of them and and could not put them in a position to succeed. Um, And so I, I think it'll be harder, you know, given the Super Bowl loss, given the way that that 2017 playoff loss went so unfortunate. Um, and then just given the way the last now two and nearly a half seasons have gone, it's going to be harder for people to look back on the Dan Quinn era in the next few years, especially as we're going through some likely growing pains with, you know, roster changes and the new coaching staff to think very fondly of the era. So, you know, I, I think that Dan Quinn obviously did some good things for this franchise. I think the Super Bowl, you know, it, it you hate to, go back to it, but it did hinge on just a handful of small decisions and plays. And he could be Super Bowl winning, you know, coach Dan Quinn, and we'd be a lot uh, sadder to see him go, I think today, but that didn't happen. Um, and, And the team definitely, I think, spent too much time trying to chase what almost happened rather than look critically at what was actually happening with Quinn. So I I think they kind of did him a disservice with that. And I think it will hurt his legacy um, with fans for the short term. Yep. Uh, Dave, what, in your opinion, what was his fatal flaw as a head coach? It's a great question. Um, And, you know, (laughs) I think one of the hardest parts about this has been figuring out what exactly kept happening with this. But I, I think, you know, ultimately I think maybe Quinn's greatest failing was that he trusted himself, he trusted, you know, certain handpicked players and the coaches that he hand-selected as well um, to be the guys who were going to be able to take care of things. You know, the team was always almost to the point of parity, you know, saying, we're going to roll with our guys. You know, we have the guys here to get this job done. And I think if you look at this team's depth, um, which, you know, over and over again, I, I think it's headed in the right direction. And then when injuries strike, it certainly doesn't look like it. Um, and then you look at, you know, the way that every coach except Kyle Shanahan and, and to a lesser extent, Mark Juan Manuel has kind of flamed out in Atlanta for one reason or another. I think the conclusion that you have to come to is that, you know, 
Dan Quinn was a great believer in the culture he had built and in his ability to put people in the right positions to succeed and overcome things. And I, I just don't think there was enough in the end flexibility or understanding of what this team's flaws were. I think too often it was a cosmetic change here. It was papering over something here. It was, we've got to trust this guy to do this here. And it just seemed to never work out over the last three or so years. Um, but I, I think it's it's hard to point to just one thing that doomed Dan Quinn. I, I think ultimately it was the fact that the team that he and Dimitrov built wasn't as good as it was supposed to be, and he was not the kind of coach that could lift them out of that. Right. And it seems like there was almost a culture that had settled in with Quinn of them sort of spiraling, where the, they they couldn't find a way to stop the bleeding, whether it was in the Super Bowl or some of the losing streaks that they've had over the years under Quinn. I think it's easy to gloss over those, you know, three game, five game, seven game losing streaks. And it just seemed like his ability to stop the bleeding was incredibly minimal. Uh, and I think ultimately led to his demise here. Um, at this point, we do know that Raheem Morris, uh, who is the defensive coordinator this year, will be taking over as the interim head coach. We did get confirmation of that from the Falcons this afternoon as we're recording this. Um, so Gina, I want to ask you this. I've, I've had a few people ask me this, uh, whether you know there's a possibility that Raheem Morris could actually win the head coaching job. Um, but what's the bigger picture in your mind, not just for Raheem Morris, but really this entire coaching staff? Because I think there are some concerns that, you know, yeah, DQ's gone, but there are a lot of guys here who contributed to the mess mm -hmm. that are obviously probably going to finish out the season. Do you think that they're they're all basically just dead men walking at this point? I do. I really do not see any chance that Arthur Blank will decide to um, keep any holdovers. You know, I know that we're already dealing with a situation where he brought back Dirk Cutter in an inexplicable move that, you know, none of us understands to this day. So I, I guess anything could happen. But with as poorly as things have gone over the past two and a half seasons, I would just have a very, very hard time believing that there's a single person on staff right now who will survive this transition. Yeah. And I honestly, I, I think the only way that happens is if you see a miraculous 11 game winning streak that takes the Falcons all the way to the Super Bowl. And folks, I am not going to bet money on that at this point. They would literally be the first team that started 0 and 5 to ever even make the playoffs if they pulled something like that off. So uh, if you're a big better, maybe that's a, a, a bet you'll put on uh, Vegas. You know, five bucks turns into a million, but. Uh, I wouldn't even bet five bucks on it at this point. Um, Dave and Gina, I'll, I'll go to you Dave first with this one before we close out the talk on Dan Quinn. Um, I think we all would agree what the worst thing is that he did in Atlanta. You both have already uh, touched on it with the Super Bowl collapse. But in your mind, Dave, what was the best thing that he did as head coach in his time here? I think the thing that I'll always appreciate about Dan Quinn is, you know, I think it was understood that Quinn was looking for a certain type of player in Atlanta. And I, I think, you know, now where we are and, and seeing, you know, unfortunately a lot of these players haven't panned out the way we would like, but Dan Quinn took a roster and I, I can't really stress enough how down I was on this roster after 2014, you know, it, it had the great players on offense, a handful of them, but especially, you know, 
on defense. There just was nobody to write home about besides maybe Desmond Trufant. Um, and, you know, what Dan Quinn was able to do in taking a critical look at Ricardo Allen and saying, you know, this guy could be a good safety. Um, and we're going to get in players like, you know, I know it's not necessarily specifically picking them, but he's looking for guys like Grady Jarrett, like Deion Jones, like, uh, you know, Aluakon and, and, and guys who will be hopefully a part of the next great Falcons team. That was what I appreciated about Dan Quinn is I felt that, you know, under Mike Smith, this roster stagnated partially because the team just didn't value, you know, young players enough. It wasn't going to give these guys a shot. It wasn't going to try to take a, an athlete and turn him into something else. And, you know, for all the misses over time, I think that Dan Quinn's willingness to put trust, you know, in, in a mid-round pick like a Devondre Campbell and, um, you know, let that guy play and play himself into being a quality starter, I think was a very big deal for Atlanta. And I think that, you know, a different coach taking over for Mike Smith, who didn't prioritize those same things was, was not probably going to be, you know, part of a Super Bowl team, even with Kyle Shanahan. So I think I appreciate that. And I really genuinely really appreciate that, um, you know, this was a guy who you never had to think about, you know, being a, a jerk behind closed doors or, or somebody you couldn't be proud to have as your head coach, even if you hated the results on the field. So I know that's two things, but uh, you let me keep talking. So <laughs> yeah, next time I'll hit that mute button. Yeah. Um, Gina, <laughs> Gina, same question to you best thing Quinn did in his time in Atlanta. Well, I agree with everything that Dave said. And I mean, I just think back to the early days of the Quinn era and I remember Quinn, you know, we would be waiting on Fridays to uh, to talk to Quinn. And on Fridays, it was usually only me, D-Led, and Vaughn. And um, we would have to stand there and wait until Dan Quinn was done working one-on-one with Tyler Starr. And so, like, when you have the head coach putting personal time after practice into helping a guy who really doesn't have much of a chance to stick on a roster, except for maybe as a special teamer. Um, but when you have, you know, a head coach investing that kind of time and effort into a player, it really is, I think, uh, indicative of, of his personality and who he is and how much he genuinely personally cared about each of these players. The other thing is, and, um, you know, this is something that I think gets overshadowed by the eventual outcomes, um, but, Dan Quinn really helped break that stigma about, oh, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan can't win in the postseason. He could, uh, yeah. he could early in this era. And that was something that kind of, you know, followed him throughout the early part of his career. Um, you know, just one playoff win under Mike Smith, despite several opportunities and, you know, had a lot of really embarrassing playoff losses in there, too. So for me, I think just kind of taking that criticism away from Matt Ryan is a uh, that's one of the things that I appreciate the most about his time here in Atlanta. Yeah, such a great point. As for me, I think it's pretty simple. It was that 2016 NFC Championship game. Um, arguably, in my mind, one of the greatest Falcons uh, blowout games. It, it felt like revenge for the 2010 playoff loss uh, that Gina just mentioned as part of the Smitty era. And uh, just the way they dominated from uh, the beginning to end felt like a new fresh version of the Falcons that we have all been logging for. Uh, I'm going to miss those days. So before we get into the conversation about the GM, Thomas Dimitrov, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay. 
Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Dave Choate and Gina Kelly. We're talking about the recent firings of head coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov. The second half podcast, I want to focus on Dimitrov. And Gina, I want to start with you first. I'm going to ask you the question that we started off uh, the podcast on with uh, Dan Quinn is, are you surprised? And are you surprised at the timing of uh, Dimitrov being fired? I am surprised that it didn't happen sooner. I'm surprised that Thomas Dimitrov lasted so long in Atlanta. I am surprised at anybody firing a GM midseason. And so I really expected Dimitrov to be gone after this season. Um, I expect because it just is so... Yeah, I mean, I, I am surprised by the timing, for sure. I am not surprised that Dimitrov is gone. He has struggled. He's had blind spots along both lines. Um, I feel like, you know, it's just been kind of a, a carousel of draft picks there at those positions that never really live up to expectations. Um, you know, some really questionable draft choices over the years here and there. I just am, I am surprised that he lasted as long as he did. I really wasn't certain that he would outlast Mike Smith. Um, you know, a lot of times you make a GM change and a head coaching change at the same time. So mm-hmm. the timing is the only thing that's really a surprise to me. Yeah. And, and Dave, to that point, I think a lot of people felt like if, if DQ was going to go, Dimitrov had to go. It, it felt like it was a package deal in many ways. And and honestly, Quinn very much tied himself uh, to Dimitrov. The, you know, he, you know, through the years has echoed their close partnership uh, at the top of the organization. Uh, but let me ask you this, because it does feel like under uh, Dan Quinn, that the Falcons drafts have been much more focused. They've been better. Uh, they've at least been more sensible in, in, even if you don't agree with Vic Beasley being kept for his fifth year option, I think the draft pick made a ton of sense at the time that they drafted him. So, in your mind, was moving on from Dan Quinn, or I'm sorry, from uh, Thomas Dimitrov, is it the right move? I think it's, you know, and I've actually struggled with this more than I thought I would this season because, you know, there there were actually quite a few fans out there, and, and that was not the case necessarily a year or two ago, um, who were a little bit hesitant. They would, they would say to me, well, if Quinn goes, is, is Dimitrov going to go too? I'm not sure I want that. Um, which was surprising, but surprising. The, more, the more I thought about it, you know, you are talking about the guy who has drafted, you know, or been involved in the drafting. You know, it's hard to know exactly what his role has been 
in recent years. Um, you know, I, I still think he's prominent in the draft, but I know that there's a lot more voices in the room. But certainly, you know, every legitimate star that has come through Atlanta, all the the big time role players that we like, those guys have all been drafted by Dimitrov. And you know, mm-hmm. I know that this roster is falling short, but I think I would echo people who say you know, with a new coaching staff, with some adjustments to this roster, even if it's a bit painful in the offseason, there's still talent enough here for this to be a quality football team. They're not great. They're going to need some time for that, I think, at this point. But he he did that. And so I think for all his flaws and foibles, um, you know, you could have made a case with the cap crunch that's coming with how weird this season has been that Dimitrov deserved to stay. I, I think ultimately where I fall is, you know, he's the greatest GM in team history. He did a lot of great stuff, but it was absolutely time for the clean sweep from top to bottom. I think that this team, just to get to where it got to over the last couple of years, that's not just a coaching issue. Um, it's mm-hmm. obviously somewhat on the players and their lack of execution, as they'll tell you themselves, but it's also on the front office. And, and they, you know, you look at the disastrous guard signings. Carpenter looks better this year, but Jamon Brown last year. You look at the way Fowler's working out so far. You know, the number of one dimensional defensive linemen that the Falcons currently have, and they can't rush the passer at all without Tack McKinley. Um, those are all things that you have to lay at the GM's feet. And I think that Blank was probably considering getting rid of Dimitrov, you know, at the end of last year, maybe even more so than Quinn. Um, that was long been my theory. And so he just looked at this as an opportunity to say, Quinn's gone. We're going to start over from top to bottom and and get a fresh organizational perspective in here. And I I think the only way that this will prove not to be the right move is if Rich McKay decides that he's actually the long-term GM here, um, which I don't want. So. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, thank you. We've, we've seen that. We've, we've been down that road. No more rehashes. We've already seen what Dirk Cutter has done as you know, dirt cutter 2.0. Um, so Gina, let me ask you this. Um, what do you think Dimitrov's legacy with the Falcons will be a similar question that, that we asked with Quinn? You know, I, I think that his, his legacy will be stronger. Um, and, and it should be, I, I, you know, looking back at, at his tenure as a whole, you know, we did see some really, really good football from, from this team. I mean, in the Mike Smith era, you know, you had the two 13 and three seasons where they locked up the first seed in the NFC. And yeah, you know, after that, they couldn't really do much with it in the postseason, but um, went to the playoffs several times. And, you know, especially the early part of the Dan Quinn era and that Super Bowl run season. Um, one of the things that I will say is, you know, they did make some changes over the years, you know, sort of, you know, allocating responsibility for player scouting. And um, I think that, Dimitrov got better when I think that the results were better when he wasn't the only one, you know, kind of running the show. Um, But yeah, I think that overall, I think that fans have gotten really tired of Dimitrov. I don't think that people are, you know, going to be shedding tears about the fact that he was tired. Um, (laughs) I think that over time, I think that people will, you know, remember him fondly, remember his, his time in Atlanta fondly. I think so. And ultimately he, he did, he, he made the most important move that you can make as a GM and he found the franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of GMs that have been 
in and out of organizations back and forth because they could not nail down that one position, a position that is incredibly hard to nail down in the NFL. Honestly, if you find a franchise quarterback, I think Dimitrov is proof that you get a lot of grace for your other misses. Um, Like we've seen where other teams have had great drafts and yet when they miss out on the quarterback, that GM will be gone in in under five years. Um, So Dave, let me ask you this. Uh, What do you think Dimitrov's fatal flaw was uh, in his time in Atlanta? I think the the fatal flaws with him, it's it's with Quinn. It was a little bit more nebulous because it was hard to know exactly what was going on and and why the same things kept happening. With Dimitrov, I think the answer is super easy. Um, you know, you could say free agency in general, but he did nail you know additions like Michael Turner and things like that. I really think that it has been the lines. I think the mm. offensive line looks to be finally rounding into shape which is one of the the ironies of this i guess is that just as that's happening he's out um but the defensive line is as big of a mess today as it was or more um because they had john abraham than it was in 2008 um when he first arrived and that just never got better the whole time he was here and i think the grady jarrett selection you know obviously he deserves a ton of praise for that I think Tack has been an underrated player and injuries have really made that kind of a what if case. But aside from that, it's been, you know, try hard guys and, you know, low impact additions and big free agency misses like Ray Edwards. And I I just think that throughout his tenure in Atlanta, you know, it was hard for him to build a defense no matter who the head coach was. But that defensive line really stands out to me as, you know, if you're arguing against, Dimitrov's legacy is a great GM, as I think plenty of people are willing to do. It really starts and ends with with those lines, how long it mm-hmm. took to get the offensive line right, and the fact that the defensive line never, ever came together despite like 12 years to get that done. Yeah, it's pretty stunning. Um, so to wrap up the podcast, I want to ask each of you uh, three remaining questions. Uh, and Dave, I'll start with you here first. Um, first question what does this move and the likely turnover of the the entire staff uh, from the GM all the way down, what does this move mean for veterans like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones? I think it's a TBD. I really do. I, I, you know, I would love to give you a more confident prediction than that. But, you know, you're going to be talking about a brand new GM and head coach with plans that I can't even begin to guess at because I don't know who they are. Um, I think for Ryan, you know, just where his contract's at and the fact that, you know, barring the remaining 11 games just being a continued meltdown, which God, I hope does not happen. Um, you know, we know he's going to be here as at least a bridge quarterback um, next year. So I, I don't think his immediate future is in doubt. With Julio, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated because, you know, the question with him always was going to be as, as fast and, and big and strong as he is. Can he, you know, age into his 30s without losing something or, or getting hurt a lot? And, you know, that's obviously very much up in the air right now. I, I think even with Jake Matthews, you know, is he going to get another big contract? Is, you know, Grady Jarrett going to get another big contract? These are things that are just massive unknowns. And I think next year, you know, the new GM and head coach stepping in will be glad to have those guys um, to be able to have some kind of continuity to maybe contend if they can get things right. 
but beyond next year, it's going to depend on who they hire and what their plan is and where they end up picking in the draft. I think we all know that if they pick in the top five, they could pick a quarterback. Um, I think you'd be foolish not yeah. to take one of the top guys in this class. It's a pretty good quarterback class, it looks to me. Um, so there's just so much up in the air for me to say confidently what they're going to do as weaselly yeah. as that answer is. <laughs> uh, Gina, I'll ask you the same difficult question. What does this mean for Ryan, Julio, and the like? It's a, it is a difficult question. And I think that uh, Dave hit, hit the nail on the head. I think that it's too difficult to answer this question without knowing which direction the team is going to go at head coach and GM. I think that it's reasonable to expect that a new head coach is going to want to handpick a quarterback to build an offense around. Um, and so I think that, like Dave said, if they are picking in the top five, and David, you and I have talked about this over the years, like I'm not opposed to them spending a high point on a quarterback and not expecting him to start right away. Mm-hmm. I think that it's such a huge learning curve from college to the NFL, especially at that position. And so I think that if somebody were able to come in and have a season, even just one season to learn under Matt Ryan, who was the consummate professional has been, you know, just really uh, you, <laughs> the perfect face of the franchise um, for his entire time here. You know, I don't think that that would be a, a terrible thing. And Julio is, I mean, he's missed, is it three games now or just two with this hamstring? Um, his health two is, and a half. Two and a half. Okay. So you know, his health is always a concern. Um, you know, it seems to be catching up with him a little bit more consistently as he gets older, which is, you know, just kind of how nature works. And um, so, yeah, I think that he he definitely has significant trade value. Um, so it may be that they would look to unload him. You know, Ridley is a really talented receiver. I think that, um, you know, setting aside some of the drops yesterday, you know, typically he looked like somebody who could be a, a the wide receiver at the top of, you know, many other depth charts um, if Julio weren't here. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that Julio raises more questions than Matt Ryan right now, but with Matt Ryan's contract, I think that he will at least be here next year. Yeah. Uh, Next question. And and this one, I think for those who are listening, uh, this one is a topic we're going to explore pretty in depth with a series of articles and potentially podcasts over the next few weeks. Uh, but Gina, what's maybe one of the first names that comes to mind when you start thinking about who could be a next good candidate for head coach for the Falcons? Um, Eric Bieniemy is the one that um, you know he's he's been mentioned quite a bit. <laughs> it may not be as fun of a suggestion after the way that the Chiefs played against the Raiders yesterday, but uh, <laughs> no, I think that the Chiefs' offense has been really spectacular. They are also stacked with skill position talent. And so, you know, I think that um, the other thing is, and again, like we, we don't really know what Matt Ryan's future will be, but he has always had a defensive minded head coach. And I, I mean, they've Mike Smith and Dan Quinn were still not able to field a dominant defense um, consistently and actually very rarely. So I would be interested to see what this team could do with a, with a head coach with an offense, like with an offensive background. Dave, same question to you. Uh, what's maybe one of the first names you were thinking about uh, as far as a good candidate for head coach? It's also the enemy. I think I've been, you know, not at all shy about saying he's the guy that I would prefer. Um, 
I do think there are worthy candidates out there beyond that. Um, Brian Dable, I'm pretty sure I just butchered his name, but um, from the Bills, you know, comes readily to mind as well. Um, you know, Arthur Smith. But I, I think when I come down to it, you know, coaches who have coached under Andy Reid tend to be fairly successful um, in the NFL as head coaches. And I think the kind of praise he gets is somebody who is a really effective game planner. I know like the hang up for some people is, well, he's not calling the plays. Um, and I realize that some people think I'm a hypocrite because I didn't want Matt LaFleur at the time because he hadn't called any plays. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is to me, it's a head coaching thing, right? So like the praise he gets for the way he leads players, um, which I think is as important now as it ever was. You're not going to go get a rando weirdo hard ass coach just because Dan Quinn and Mike Smith were nice and that didn't work out. Um, so that his ability to game plan effectively and his offensive background, um, and, you know, and the likelihood that he'll surround himself, I think with good coaches, um, good like-minded coaches who maybe also come from successful offenses like Kansas city. To me, that's, that's promising. And he's a guy that I would love to see get that shot to lead this team. But I, I do think ultimately this team probably goes with an offensive minded head coach, um, both to kind of get the most out of the one to three to five years, the Matt Ryan's still here or to get the next quarterback well positioned. Um, I think everyone associated with the team knows how important that is. And I, I do think there happens to be at least, you know, three or four quality names out there. So it, it's not the worst time to need one, but I do hope it is the enemy. Yep. And based on both of you answering the enemy and, and the sounds of it, uh, the third question was whether or not you think the team should look for an offensive minded head coach. And it sounds like uh, you both agree that that should be the direction they go this time. Uh, and I will throw in my two cents and say, yes, we've, we've gone through uh, two guys who were former quote unquote defensive head coaches or defensive uh, coordinators and Mike Smith uh, and Dan Quinn, I think it's time to start thinking about how we can maximize the offensive talent we have, especially with the fact that we have a tremendous amount of money invested in that side of the ball. Uh, we really need to get a return on investment as quickly as possible uh, before those guys age out, which is uh, the pressing question that we'll begin to see answers for as uh, the new coach comes in and as we get into 2021. Uh, so Dave, remind our listeners where they can find you, what we've got going on. Uh, you can find me at the Falcoholic um, on Twitter. You can also find me writing um, articles, hopefully not at 10 or 11 o'clock at night again tonight. Um, <laughs> but for the Falcoholic, um, we're going to be talking, I think, a lot, obviously, about the matchups ahead because, you know, we're, we're still going to be focused on that. They still have to play the games, but also these big long-term questions like you've raised on the podcast today. You know, what does this team look like in a year, three years? who are good coach and GM candidates um, and what happens to this roster. I think those are all big exhilarating questions that we haven't gotten to ask in a long time. So we'll certainly give them the time and attention on the Absolutely. And Gina, same from you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Gina Thomas. That's J E A N N A Thomas. Um, and you can also find me on SB Nation's new NFL show. Uh, we've got podcasts that drop every day of the week. And I am on, I'm co-hosting our Friday show, which is Football Cheat Sheet, 
we give you all the information that you need to beat your friends in fantasy and win money playing DFS or gambling. So check that out. All right, you guys, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates on this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Dave Choate and Gina Kelly, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. Talk with you next time.